Hey, Daniel, Jason here, listening to the latest episode, and yeah, I'm up against a time crunch as well. I'm not going to get all the OSR October episodes out that I wanted to before the end of the month. I think because the rules are kind of fast and loose for OSR October anyway, it's okay to have it spread into November. So don't feel need to, to either not cover content or rush through it. I think it's totally fair to continue into November with this content. Anyhow, keep up the great work. Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. If I sound a little bit different today, it's because I'm not in my normal office recording. I'm at my studio in Manhattan, so you might hear taxi drivers beeping horns and uh, various foul language in the background. Let's hope not. <laughs> They're pretty far down there at ground level. And But we're going <laughs> to... Opening up the show, though, there was... I was trying to pull a... Uh, a Rob C there, and I, I kind of goofed it. Opening up the show there was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thank you, Jason. I think you are right. Uh, we OSR type people, we don't follow rules. <laughs> Unless they're TSR rules. No, we don't follow rules. So, yeah, obviously, most of my podcast is falls into the OSR type situation anyway. So, I guess I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But uh, thank you for those words of encouragement. You know, again, I, I, maybe that's it, right? It's like... Whatever you watch any of these Christmas specials, theme is always in the end. Let's make every day like Christmas. So let's make every month like OSR October. Let's try to stay positive about things that are happening and talk about what we love about the game and not hopefully be brought down. Anyways, what I'm going to do today is kind of, I don't remember what I said I was going to do last time. I think I was up in the air. You can probably hear the book moving around. I'm looking at the strategic review. I know I say book. That's because I have mine printed out if I didn't make that clear before. I took all the strategic reviews. And again, you can find them uh, online with a little Google I'm not going to put a link because, you know, copyrights and such, but the strategic review was TSR's house kind of newsletter magazine, if you want to call it that, pre-Dragon. I don't know if, if it stopped when they started putting out the Dragon, but it stopped just about there. So we're early on. We're, I think we're still in 1975 here. Greyhawk has come out. We're still in strategic review. I guess I should have looked at this. Volume one, number three. So this is number three. It is autumn of 1975. Again, Greyhawk has come out. And as I mentioned last time, there's two sections I want to cover here. I thought about doing all the gunfighter stuff as one separate thing, but I think I'm not going to do that because there's kind of a, a theme here in these last two articles I want to talk about. The first one is called Gallery of Gunfighters, and it's part one, The Art of Gunfighting. I don't see an author on this. Perhaps it's somewhere else written, and I just don't see it. But basically what this is is the beginning of what's going to be a series, which actually ends up in Boot Hill uh, version two, if you've got it. I believe, which has all these kind of gunfighters. Some of them are fictional, some are historical, and they're kind of made out to work with Boot Hill. But this first article, the reason why I want to talk about it is because this article talks about gunfighting in general. And what it talks about is little historical tidbits mixed with fictional parts to kind of liven up your game. And I think, again, this is something that we do today, right? When we think, oh, I want to play a campaign in the Sumerian age, or I want to play Vikings, or I want to play Mesoamerican or something like that, right? We can do our research and we can combine what is history that we know, or at least is uh, currently understood for some of the cultures anyways, and what is fictionalized, right? So we can look at movies, we can look at comic books and magazines and novels that take place in these various settings let's say in this case, the Wild West, so a little dime store, Western magazines, right? Dime store. And uh, we can kind of take that stuff, like the spinning the guns and this and that. 
But then this author did a little bit of research and said, hey, you know what? Some of the stuff is really only used in these ways. So maybe when you're playing your game, you can liven it up by throwing these things in with a little bit of historical stuff. And I think that's still good advice today. So I think it's something we're doing. And the reason why I say it ties in is because the next article, Deserted Cities of Mars, which is by uh, Jim Ward, who of course went on to be a major contributor to the Dungeons and Dragons. This is one of the early, early people that's part of TSR. I don't know if they were working at TSR at the point at this point, but really put a lot in Dungeons and Dragons. And this is, I'm assuming it doesn't say, but this is probably tied into the Warriors of Mars game that TSR put out to go along with the miniatures line. And what it is, is it's basically, again, it's not a history because obviously a Barsoom is not real and, but it's, taking from the fiction and reading deeply into it and giving us some information about it. Again, diving into a subject that we're interested in and it's digging it apart. So I've talked about this before. I think I talked about it in Monsters and Treasure where I said that I actually really like the idea of zines at the very least being more focused on locations and content ideas than mechanics because I think that that, for me anyways, personally, and I'm probably a minority here, that inspires me. I find loose mechanics with, or no mechanics, mixed with interesting settings and stuff to be interesting to inspire me. Now, that being said, I'm not the kind of person, I don't know if you can hear that, police, I don't, I'm not sure if you can or not, the, the, the microphone doesn't seem to pick me up, but we'll see. Um, so if, you, if I'm talking louder, it's because I can hear the siren. But we can take these little bits of information, right? And we can take them and manipulate them and use them in our games. And that's really what we're looking at here. So if I read an, artic an article or a zine that's all about a setting, I don't want it in such a way that I don't want to memorize it, right? Like if you see people that are kind of hardcore to settings, like I had one player in my first 5e game that was a Forgotten Realms person. They knew all about the Forgotten Realms. They knew all the different gods. They knew the different areas. They were like, oh, are we going to go to here, here, here? And then because I knew nothing, I was like, oh, no, we're going to play in Greyhawk. And that person went out and bought a bunch of Greyhawk stuff. <laughs> it started learning all about Greyhawk because they were that person that wanted it to be, hey, this book says in this city, there's four temples with three stories each. And this one holds this. It, that's not the level that I want. I like interesting stuff. So instead of factoid books, I like stuff that has some flavor and story to it. That's where I get my inspiration from mostly. So I would love to know where you get your information from. And certainly call into the show and let me know. But I want to read a couple little bits from this because I think it's really great. This article is good. I think this is a great example of giving some flavor, giving some information. This one is not so inspirational in the way that it's like adding information you probably don't know, unless you've never read these books, I suppose. But it's kind of tightened it up for us. But I just want, but if you're making a, article or a zine or something about creating, let's say, a city or doing whatever in an environment, I think this is a good example of the types of things you want to put in here. So I'm just going to read this. In making a Martian city, the Jeddak's palace must be considered first. The palace must be immense in width and length, displaying all the Martians' building features. The palace must have many high towers and domes. Every other 30-foot wall section has a balcony or window. The walls are covered with carvings and projections. There must be an audience chamber with three-story vaulted ceiling and a raised platform at the end for the Jeddak. Okay, so moving away from the text here. And again, this is giving us an idea of how we can build our own palace. We're not seeing the palace of the Jeddak. We're getting this information. Every Jeddak palace is going to be like this. So if you're designing one, this is what you want to put in here. 
Every Barsoomian palace has many towers for egg incubation. The palace also has secret paths and rooms from top to bottom. Balconies and windows must cover the outside, and there must be at least one large courtyard, and maybe there are more. There are always many lesser palaces in the avenues, which are merely smaller versions of the first one. And it goes into other things, hotels and whatnot. But down here at the end, it says, In assimilating these facts, certain ideas should come to mind. The Green Martians prefer to live in the largest buildings at the center of the town. Therefore, the smaller ones at the outskirts should provide partial safety from their attack and greater possibility of finding ancient treasure. The secret passages in every palace give any captured person a chance to escape or move around undetected in the Green Martian area. The outside wall carvings make it possible to climb up and down, while the many balconies provide lookout posts for those fearing attack. The Martian architecture lends itself easily to chart form, which may uh, may prove to be useful to the prospective judge. So here we go. Again, we're giving this information. We're not saying specifically this window's open, they can do this, but we're giving the judge, like if you're writing, if you're creating this city for somebody to explore, you can have these notes so you know when the players go, oh, I want to try to climb up the side, you can say, oh, right, the outside's covered with these carvings. You can definitely climb up. Oh, are there any windows? Yes, there's going to be windows. You don't even have to have a map. You could actually do a lot of this theater of the mind if you know what each structure is supposed to hold. So then below he has a whole bunch of charts, uh, which is great. And you can use this to create your own cities. And I think I will do this myself. This is very much reminiscent of an article you may have read in the early part of the OSR Rising, right? Somebody saying, hey, I'm interested in the stories of Barsoom. I'm going to write an article that has a little bit of detail about it that recommends you go read these books for awesome inspiration and then has a little chart here so we can build our own. This Jim Ward article is like the framework for what a lot of blogs are these days. Thus tying back to my original premise, like I'm trying to win a debate here, <laughs> that the strategic review in this kind of setup was very much like the beginning of the OSR. People taking the original game, and of course in the case of the OSR, older games, right? Older games we played, digging them apart, adding to them, adding their own flavor and sharing it and showing people how they can do what was done here at their table. So I think this is a great resource to check out. Also, if I didn't say this before, that so are the blogs. I know that it seems like, for me anyways, I went through a blog period, and I don't see as many people talking about them. Maybe I'm just not in the right spots. But it seems like the blogs were what kind of got the OSR rolling in a lot of ways. And I think they're still a great resource. There's lots of people out there blogging. If you have a favorite blog that you like to read, let me know. I would, uh, I'll feature them here. I'll talk about it. I'll play your message at the very least. And speaking of that, you can leave me a message. There's lots of different ways down in the show notes. You can use the link for Spotify for podcasters. You could send me an email, banditskeep at gmail.com. You could join my Discord server, link down there as well, and send me a direct message. That seems to be how many people send the messages. And down there, you're also going to find a link to my Patreon if you want to support the podcast and everything else I do. I'll talk to you soon.